I'm Craig Lawless. I'm Kevin Garcia-King. And this is Sounds Like Infrastructure. On a warm August night in 1790, Madrid's most famous square, the Plaza Mayor, would become the centre of one of the worst fires the city had ever seen. Nobody noticed the fire at first, but then a thick smoke started making its way from one of the merchant shops that looked onto the square. A small group of locals ran over and managed to pull the doors to the shop open, but as soon as they did, they realised their mistake. The air that rushed into the shop lit up the wooden beams, which then set fire to even more of the buildings in the square. The flames became so big that they only stopped burning when they reached parts of the square made of stone. After just three hours, the fire had taken out the entire western wall of the Plaza Mayor and began burning buildings in the surrounding streets. The king, realizing his city was burning down, put his own personal architect, a man named Francisco Sabatini, in charge of the response. The newspaper says that same night, Sabatini, from the Royal Hof of the Casa de la Panaderia, direct all the actions taken to put out the fire with the help of the army, because uh, we had no fire department uh, at that moment in Madrid. That's for Obiaus Laura Soler, who grew up close to Plaza Mayor and also spent almost a year working on restorations that started in the plaza in 2014. And what she mentions here, basically a lack of firefighters, was a bit of a problem for a city that was predominantly made of one material. Wood. According to writer, historian and friend of the podcast Lexi Hadfield, there was actually a logical reason that so much of the city was made of wood. What Madrid lacks in terms of waterways and ocean, it makes up for in how much forest is nearby. You want wood in Madrid, you've got so much land that you can take it from. So they use wood, which when you build a bakery inside of, or you build somewhere that needs lit by candles inside of, is fairly dangerous. All this wood across the city meant that the fire just burned and burned. The fire lasted, I think it was nine days, uh, as long as it took to put out the fire. And putting out the fire required some pretty drastic measures. It was necessary to knock down buildings because there was no other way to put out the fire. Uh, It spread uh, very easily. Sabatini did eventually get the fire under control. But after the flames died down, Madrid had to deal with another problem. The city had been left with a huge scar right where Plaza Mayor once stood. That scar that the fire left wasn't new. The fire in August 1790 was actually the third big fire the square had seen in its short lifetime. When they decided to rebuild Plaza Mayor for a third time, something would have to change. On this episode of Sounds Like Infrastructure, we find out what that change was. And it wasn't just changes in materials, but also changes in the design of the square itself. We also find out how some clever tax dodging helped Madrid's most famous square come about, and chat to Laura Soler about the work her and the Ferrovial team did to bring the square back to its former glory today. That's next. To understand how Plaza Mayor came about, we've got to go back. Way back. To the late 1400s. Madrid was tiny. Madrid really shouldn't exist when you think about it. It's not near the ocean. The river isn't a particularly useful river in the way that we like to think of. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's not close to many important places. It was a defence point. And around that defence point was a city wall to defend the defence point. And knowing about the city wall is important because it helps us understand why Plaza Mayor appeared where it did. 
because within those city walls, you have a full city, king, church, taxman, all the rules, all the good behavior. On the outside, none of that goes. So traders began to realize there was a little tax loophole they could take advantage of. So they started setting up stalls outside the city walls to avoid paying the taxes you had to pay when you were trading inside the city walls, which was great for the traders, but... Terrible for a king who needs tax money to keep that city going. As the market became more and more popular as a place to trade, people started building up around it. A building here, a building there, but with no overall plan. As the square grew in popularity, the king brought his taxmen to it. But he also brought a piece of royal architecture too, a bakery, which is known in Spanish as the Casa de la Panadería. The Casa de la Panadería, or Madrid's Bakery, uh, is ordered to be built as a result of a shortage of uh, flour and wheat in Madrid and therefore a shortage of bread. But this didn't stop the king, Felipe II, from making his bakery beautiful. The building is Baroque in appearance and has two towers on either side of it that are topped with a pitched roof. Sandwiched in between these towers are four floors, the upper floors for the royals and the bottom floor and basement for the bakery. But just 27 years later, the new king, Felipe III, wasn't satisfied with the square. He felt it was becoming run down, that the buildings around the bakery had gone up without any thought, and most importantly, without any order. So, he commissioned the architect Juan Gómez de Mora to redesign the square. In this beginning of Baroque period, the Casa de la Panadería was the unique and most important element of the square for him. Gómez de Mora designed the new Plaza Mayor around the bakery, making it the focal point of the square. His design added symmetry, which meant knocking down some of the buildings in the area to achieve a rectangular shape. And with the buildings gone and the space now opened up, the king decided to do what anyone would do. He organized a bullfight to make sure the measurements for the new square were correct. After the bullfight, he and his architect decided they weren't, and so even more buildings were knocked down to create a bigger space. Another design element you can still see today from this original design is on the tiles that line the roofs of the square. Most of Madrid is covered in terracotta tiles, but in Plaza Mayor, the tiles are black slate. And that's because of the history of the Spanish royal family at the time. The Plaza Mayor that we have now is designed with a Habsburg design. The Habsburgs were in power in Spain for six generations and were in charge of a lot of Europe in that time. But they were an Austrian-based royal family. And so the bakery and the rest of the square were heavily influenced by a traditionally Austrian style of architecture. So Plaza Mayor, first of all, is red, it's bright red on the inside, but you look up, it has a super contrasting black slate roof. It slopes down, it looks very, very sharp, because if you are building a palace or a square or a town hall in Austria, then good, because that will keep all the heat in. When it inevitably snows in the winter, the snow will slide off. The slate will pull in all the sunshine, keep your building very warm. You can't switch that off. So when it's 40 degrees every August in Madrid and those slate roofs are doing what they like to do, those very expensive apartments on the top are just saunas. So much of how Plaza Mayor looks today is because of Juan Gómez de Mora's design. He added order by homogenizing the heights of the buildings, the appearance of the facades, the balconies, and, importantly, the materials that would be used to build the square. Unfortunately, those materials included wood, in a square where candles and sparks were common. A little over a decade after the new Plaza Mayor was finished, it had its first big fire. There are different theories on how exactly the fire started. Um, most common idea for the first fire 
they think the butcher's or the baker um baker's house it's where it started possibly some sparks from knives or from not so sure after the fire gomez de Mona was put in charge of the reconstruction of the square but he decided to build it in wood again which meant less than 40 years later the plaza had another fire the second they say was a candle that was lighting a picture of the virgin mary and that caught the wood. Uh, whether that candle was purchased in the market square is up for discussion. After this fire, the rebuild was carried out by Tomás Román, who had slightly more luck than Gómez de Mora. His square would last more than 100 years, until the Great Fire of 1790, the one that we mentioned at the start of the episode, the Big Fire, because Tomás Román also made his square out of wood. After the fire in 1790, the architect Juan de Villanueva was given the task of rebuilding the square. And his challenge was to introduce design elements that would stop a potential fire starting and spreading as easily as it had in the past. So he looked back at the previous fires, and what he noticed was that in both cases, parts of the square that were made of stone stopped the fire from spreading. So stone would need to be a key element in any new design, not wood. He noted his findings and included them in something called a licencia de obra, basically a building permit. And Laura actually found a copy of the permit while she was researching the history of the building. In it, it describes... All the materials that they had to use in the restoration of the Plaza Mayor to avoid uh, another fire in the square. In the building permit, you can see that Villanueva wanted to prioritize things like granite arcades. He redesigned the balconies so that they had elements of stone, which would slow the spread of a fire. And he also added stone to the ledges around the square that would also act as a fire block. But it's not just the addition of stone that the permit talks about. It's also the design of the balconies and even the height of the square, which Villanueva decided to reduce by one story so that water would be able to reach the upper floors if there was a fire, a problem that became evident in the previous fire. And all of these improvements worked. Over the next 200 years, Plaza Mayor continued to be, well, a typical Spanish square. I think if you were to ask someone who'd never been to draw a picture of a Spanish square, they would probably draw Plaza Mayor. But so much of the history, so many of the stories are actually tucked away, either underneath or within or on top of the square. I'd love for them to be a little bit more obvious. Some of this history Lexi told us about was that Plaza Mayor hosted the Acts of Faith during the Spanish Inquisition. And up until recently, the holding cells used for that remained right underneath the square. In the early 1900s, the square was a small park with trees in it. These were then removed and in the 70s, the square became a car park. Not long after that, the parking lot was moved underground, where it remains today. When the car park was removed, nothing really replaced it. And the plaza is now an open cobbled square lined with terraces where you can eat and drink. And if you do decide to grab a drink on one of these terraces, you'll find yourself looking at a statue that's quite well known, but has a story that is not so well known. Well, in the middle of Plaza Mayor, there is a statue of a king on a horse, like in most squares, in most European cities. And the statue is of Philip III. Philip III, or Felipe, was the king who ordered the square to be tidied up. The one who organised the bullfight to check that the dimensions were correct. Fast forward to the mid-1800s and Isabella II is in charge and she decides that she wants to honour him. She moves this statue from behind the royal palace where there were lots of statues into the middle of this square and it's a nice nod to its history. It's a nice nod to Spanish history. Uh, It looks very impressive and 
it suited it, surrounded by trees in this gorgeous square. And people would go about their daily life on the tram and looking out of their windows. But as nice as Plathamayor looked, it still had a small problem. The problem with Plathamayor is that it just didn't smell very nice. It got worse and worse over time, to the point where people would downright avoid Plathamayor. They'd be holding their nose on the tram, and no one could work it out. In the 1930s, decades later, after decades of holding your nose and cleaning the floor and searching the old torture chambers, there was coincidentally a protest or movement, I'll say, um, of the anarchists who were ready and fighting for the Second Spanish Republic. And one of their rebels wanted to make a bolder point about getting rid of the monarchy and took it upon himself to watch the monarchy fall and decided with some co-anarchists to attack this statue of the king. It didn't quite go to plan. I think they wanted to blow it up and watch it shatter into a million pieces. What they did manage to do was get this statue down to the floor. The king is broken on top of his horse. The horse's head is off in this photo. And they were happy. They were excited. They were jubilant. But they did feel a little bit sick because, yes, they had toppled their monarchy, but they had also given us a very important piece of information of why Plathamayor smelt so bad. To understand why the square was smelling so bad, and what the anarchists found when they tried to blow up the statue, you have to rewind to before the statue was even in the square. This statue was moved from forests, behind the palace, in the countryside, in the nature. And when the statue was moved, with it came the hundreds, maybe thousands, who knows, of dead birds that were inside the hollow statue, rotting away in Madrid in the summer where it gets to 40 degrees and this rotten little soup of birds was causing this terrible smell. Today, Plata Mayor is one of the main places that tourists go when they visit Madrid. But the square isn't treated like a museum. It's still a square with restaurants, markets and apartments that people live in. It's true that a lot of these apartments have become tourist flats, but a lot are still lived in by the locals. And the fact that this is a living and working square means that, over the years, it's been put through its paces. So by the mid-2010s, the square was in need of a facelift. 2017 would also be the year the square celebrated its 400th anniversary, so the council wanted to make sure it was looking its best. Laura Soler and Ferrovio were brought in to make improvements on the Casa de la Panaderia, the Baroque-style bakery that Juan Gomez de Mora had designed his square around in 1617. And the team worked on repairing the roof of the building and also worked on the vaulted brick that lines the arcades. And it was while working on the Casa de la Panaderia that Ferrovia signed a new contract to renovate the rest of the square. And one of the parts of the square that was most in need of attention were the roofs. Laura told us about the painstaking detail that they went to to carry out this restoration. Okay, at the roofs, each of the tiles were lifted, catalogued, copied, Uh, and put back in their original position. And it was this part of the restoration that Laura remembers the most. Up there, she could see the Austrian influence of Plaza Mayor's black tiles and their contrast with the rest of the city's terracotta roofs. Uh, We replaced all the slates, all the roofing that uh, you can see, all the moldings and trim and railings. After working on the roof... We continued with the facade. Uh, the whole facade of the plaster was uh, redone in some areas where uh, it was uh, quite bad. 
And once this plaster was redone, a whole new new finish was applied. One of the more unusual parts of the restoration was what they had to do for the brick vaults of the arcades around the square. It was necessary to waterproof to waterproof uh, these brick vaults in order to maintain to maintain them and uh, to restore them. The vaults had to be waterproofed because cleaning in the square had become too frequent and a little bit too efficient compared to the past. And it wasn't just the vaulted ceilings that had this problem. Some of the older paving stones around the square also had to undergo this treatment for the same reasons. But these slabs were old and big and were a challenge to work with. Because it's impossible for even for people to leave a stone like the one that you can see in the in the square, which is about a one meter twenty by almost two meters. And so to remove these slabs, they had to get creative. So we use a suction caps uh, to lift them. In this case, in this case, uh, with a lifting device. And this was done for each of the older slabs under the vaulted arcade around the square. Each of the slabs were lifted, catalogued, copied and put back in their original position. Lauer worked in Plaza Mayor on the renovation of the square for over a year. And during that time, her office was located in the square itself, opposite the bakery in what would have been the butchers. The building is now a hotel, but at the time it was empty. And this is where Lauer's office was. My office was incredible. I know I will never have an office like this uh, again. I had uh, two balconies that I could open every day and I could see uh, the square in the morning, no? and uh, that's incredible. As we mentioned earlier, Plaza Mayor is a working square, and that brought with it its own challenges. Anytime a scaffold went up, it would have to be coordinated with the neighbours and businesses. You have to work with juries, with uh, waiters, with neighbours, and and it's a it's difficult. It's a different way to work, and, and it's it's so complicated to manage not only your your building site. You have to manage the rest of the people too. You need to order the terrace. You need to order the ways to to access to the to the square because. Uh, you need to maintain the life of the square every day. This coordination was key to the success of the project, and it also extended into things like deliveries, which could only happen in the mornings, and also events like the Christmas market, where the site had to close down for a number of weeks until the market ended. Laura and the team also reorganized the cables around the square, which over the years had become a total mess as first phone lines and then internet was installed. And all of this work has helped bring the square back to its former glory, and also back to the vision of Felipe III and Juan Gómez de Mora, and ordered an elegant square for the city. When the renovations were done, the square got back to being itself. And it is true that a big part of that image today is tourism. It is very tourist-saturated. And whether that is just big groups of people on their tours, there are a lot of Airbnbs. It's not the cheapest square. In fact, it's probably the most expensive square to have a beer. But you get what you pay for. If part of what you pay on that bill is being sat somewhere where you are drenched in history, where you are on top of a torture chamber, in the same seat that someone would have watched an Inquisition act of faith, where you would have had the perfect view of the statue get thrown to the ground, where you might have never wanted to sit because you'd have had to hold your nose the whole time. Maybe that's the tourist in me, but I sometimes think you get what you pay for. You pay for the experience. 
Sounds like Infrastructure is a collaboration between Ferrovial and Veleta Media. Our team includes Craig Lawless, Jose Garcia Guaita, Paloma Gonzalez, Arancha Gulias, Bethany Ashcroft, and myself, Kevin Garcia King. Craig also edited the episode. A big thanks to Laura and Lexi for chatting to us, and Lexi also gives private tours of Madrid, so be sure to check her out on Airbnb Experiences if you're in the city. I've done one of her tours and learned so much. Totally recommend it. If you like the podcast and want more episodes, don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen. You can also follow Ferrovial on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget to check out the blog if you're looking for more stories like this. I'm Kevin Garcia-King. I'm Craig Lawless. And this is Sounds Like Infrastructure.